Welcome to the Public Health Joy Podcast, the safe space for real and honest conversation about what building a public health research career is really like, the challenges, the triumphs, and all the lessons we learn along the way. I'm your host, Dr. Joy, a public health researcher, PhD survivor, and entrepreneur. In today's episode, we are talking with Dr. Courtney McClooney about what it means to reimagine our lives as researchers by finding freedom in our wellness and wholeness. This is where research meets relationship, and together we will find our public health joy. Welcome to another great episode of the Public Health Joy podcast. And today we have Dr. Courtney L. McClooney, who is an award-winning educator and social scientist and is also the foremost expert on workplace inclusion and code switching. So we got a lot to talk about y'all. But I want to say first, before I have Dr. McClooney introduce herself, is that When we met, we met in like this virtual webinar and it was on decolonization of the researcher training. And I remember being in it, it was my first one, first training of that kind. And I don't know if it's like in-person spaces and virtual spaces, but you're always looking for the person who looks like you. Like you're always looking for the other black people in the room. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like I know I saw your picture on your Zoom square and I was like, cool, I'm not the only black person in here. (laughs) Then as I was, you know, we were talking and sharing and I was listening to you and I was like, oh yeah, that's, she sounds like my kind of person. And then I'm like trying to follow you on LinkedIn during the training and do all this stuff. And then at the same time, you were trying to get with me on LinkedIn. Exactly. (laughs) So it was like, we were, we were connecting spirits there. So I was super excited. And I was like, we gotta, we gotta talk. We gotta take this outside of this training to talk a little bit. So that's always a super fun thing and always an interesting thing when you're, when you're being black. I I think it's just a black thing. You know, you're you're looking for the people in the room who look like you and making the connection. So with that being said, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are, your journey, what you do, all the things. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It has been a journey. (laughs) I will start by saying that, but maybe let's start with where I am now and, and how I got here. So right now, I would describe myself as someone who is an independent researcher, thinker, person who's trying to continue to learn and absorb different ways of doing research and of being part of uh, research communities, what it means to be a researcher, to be a designer, all these new terms that are emerging, and also doing that from a place of wholeness and wellness. I feel like those are the two forms of being that I strive to accomplish every day. It's like, how am I whole in this moment, in this day, or at the end of this day? And am I taking care of myself? Am I being well? And how do I spread that message and those practices to others? Like, how do I take what I'm learning and and continue to spread that out? I do that in a couple of ways. I would consider myself a multi-hyphenate contributor to trying to create more equity and justice and wellness in the world. I do that through my some part-time and freelancer affiliations with Cornell University, with TMI Consulting, as a writer to several outlets, but also through my own venture, the Equi Well Partners Group. 
And what we're trying to do there is help organizations reimagine work, but also help individuals reimagine work so that they are working from a place of rest and not just Mm. working so that they can get to rest on the other side. I got there. Yeah. I I, I I mean, it's just just seeping all in. I'm just like, "Mm, work from a place of rest. Can that be in somebody's job description? Like, we want you to work and fulfill your responsibilities from a place of rest and wholeness and wellness. Who job description is it? Who's company profile? That's, That's the new goal. I need to see companies reporting the numbers of how many hours that their employees had high quality sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Not not your outputs, right? But it's like, can we literally flip this idea on its head that wellness is just an individual endeavor? It's a systemic mm-hmm. endeavor. It's a right that we deserve as beings, people who are alive, beings that are alive. I want to you know, expand that to our world. Like all of it deserves to be well. So how are we creating and designing systems and realities that reflect this right that we have to be well? And I mean, I got to that point of making that part of my life's mission and work through experiencing lots of years of not being well and continuing through cycles of burnout and recovering just enough to go back into that same burnout cycle and thinking overwork is normal, is expected, is something that is just part of the the work, essentially, that in order for me to do this work in an academic institution on the tenure track as a grad student, as a postdoc, that being burned out and tired and getting sick at the end of semester, that those things were just normal. And it reached a, a pinnacle moment in the middle of the pandemic when we're, I'm questioning all of life and mm-hmm. what this means to have had such an individual pursuit of what it is that I thought I wanted to do in the world and realizing that we are all in this together. And unless there's some collective shifts happening that we as individuals can only go uh, but so far with any of our, our work and pursuits. So I, I still remember that day and moment where I had this this panic attack in the middle of working and just feeling the sense of overwhelm, the sense of what am I doing and why am I doing it this way? This this can't be right. So I went through sort of a, a mourning period of, of the loss of an identity, of a vision, of a path I thought I was on with becoming a professor but also such a liberating experience too. It's like, well, if I don't hold on to this very rigid, narrow expectation of what a professor is and does, and looks like I am free to now choose and design and reimagine who it is that I want to be and how I want to show up in the world. And the very first thing I was like, I need a nap. <laughs> that was the first thing I needed to do was mm. fall asleep and allow myself to dream of who I could be and that, that has just been the, the most liberating, as I said, journey and, and something that I want everyone to experience. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out how to incorporate that in all the work that I do from that training as a social scientist, you know, for background's sake, I got my PhD in psychology at the University of Michigan. And while there, I was heavily involved with creating this group called the Racism Lab. And it's a lot of researchers from across the social sciences, including public health scholars. And we were trying to understand how it is that cultural and systemic racism is affecting the health and well-being of Black and brown communities in our country, um, really around the globe. And my primary focus in that was understanding the workplace and the various ways that work organizations are also contributing to and impacting our health and well-being. So I continue to bring that lens into a lot of the things that I'm contributing to now, both in my own work, but also as I try to partner with others and thinking about the work that they do. 
yeah, that's <laughs> this is who I am, where I've been. I'm I'm sure I could share more, but we would be here for days if I kept going. Hey, we might have to have a, a multi episode, multi series <laughs> podcast, all that be good. But what you said just really resonated with me because I went through something very similar at higher the pandemic. I'm looking at higher education, like mm, you are not giving what I thought you were going to give. <laughs> <laughs> during this time, what are you doing? And is this what I want for my life? I don't think so. Can I choose a different path? And what does that different path look like? Because when you're going through the grad school process, especially the PhD route, most of us are set on being a professor. That's just what we know. And so to think about what does it look like to, like you say, dream, choose a different path and experience the freedom. Now that freedom and that liberation can be scary at first. It's scary now. We're not going to lie. We're not going to lie to you. It's scary. But I tell people all the time, it's the best decision I ever made. The absolute best decision I ever made because now I get to take a nap between two to four every day. Amen. (laughs) I have built that into into my schedule. And it's perfect. It works for me because now I can prioritize my rest and my well-being as a part of the work that I do. And that has been so important and so fulfilling for me. And I get to experience and build the workplace environment for myself that I never had. Absolutely. And it's just it's just something that I never thought that I would have the opportunity to experience. And a lot of what you were saying, I recently was reading the book, Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey, Mm -hmm. who's also the bishop of the NAP ministry. If y'all haven't heard of the NAP ministry, you need to check them out. And, you know, it's just, (laughs) I am in church with the NAP ministry every day day at the NAP altar, for sure. (laughs) And so in the book, I remember reading, there was a question that said, imagine a world without oppression. Mm. And I was like, do I dare to go there? <laughs> like, like what does, like just, it's, it's just an automatically halt. That's something I've never considered. What would the world look like without oppression? And thinking about the fact that we have been conditioned to believe that we have to work like machines yeah. and machines we are not. Exactly. And we're just continuing to work ourselves, work ourselves to exhaustion, to frustration, to burnout. And this concept that we are not resting to be more productive. We are resting because we are resting because we want to rest. Yes. That, like that, that is, is that a fundamental is, shift. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is the mindset shift there. Like I'm not resting so I can do more work. I'm not resting so I can attend more meetings. I'm not resting so that I can get more clients. I am resting because my body says, girl, we ain't doing nothing today. (laughs) I don't have to have a reason. I don't don't need a reason to rest. I don't need a reason to take a nap. I don't need a a reason to enjoy my time on this earth. (laughs) I can spend it how I want to because that's my right. Exactly. And that shift, that right there, that we're not resting to be more productive. I feel like that has sat with me for, it seems like forever now, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. for as long as I've been, you know, actively trying to pursue wellness, even that can become a form of labor, 
right? Like I have to get X number of steps. I have to work out X number of times per week. I have to make sure I'm sleeping eight hours. And and that becomes the new thing that we're conditioned to strive for. So even reimagining goals, like reimagining what does it mean to just exist and be. And I feel like the last time I was open and bold enough to question everyday conditioning was when I was an adolescent, pre-adolescent, like going back to that time in my life before I was aware of all these expectations that have been placed upon me or aware of like adulting. Adulting sucks. Um, I <laughs> said, was a kid. Adulting <laughs> is trash. Adulting is trash. Adulthood, adulthood is the worst hood. Like, I don't want it. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know why I was rushing to get here, but I remember that pre-life and, you know, shout out to my parents. They they really did create an environment where my brother and I got to enjoy a lot of life. We didn't feel like adults uh, at a young age. And, and that was really wonderful. And that was the last time I think I really felt unencumbered by feeling like everything I do has to be towards something tangible, measurable, something that's contributing to, you know, my degrees, my, you know, credentials, my income, like, what does it mean to just exist and be from that place, period? Like, and, and just be, you know, who you are and, and playing with that and experiencing joy in that and pleasure in that, like, shout out to young Courtney. Young Courtney held, held on to those dreams and she journaled a lot. So even getting back into some of those practices that I did as a child, I think mm-hmm. has really helped with continuing on this journey of resting to rest. And, and resting as resistance and, and letting go of those ideas that rest always has to be tied to productivity. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also think about, I mentioned about your work in code switching earlier. And before, before I share my thoughts, could you explain for us, for those who may not know, what is code switching? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of things, right? It came out of the linguistic studies and it was the literal meaning was the switching between languages, but Social psychologists, and let me not even give them that credit, social anthropologists uh, were realizing that as groups were interacting with each other, it was more than just switching language. It was switching formality, tone, mannerisms. It was switching all sorts of behaviors because we're interacting with someone new and, and we need something from them. We need to figure out a way to communicate best. And present day, the way my colleagues and I been studying code switching in the workplace amongst Black people who are underrepresented, historically excluded, and marginalized, especially in a lot of these corporate workspaces. The way we define code switching is that it's a strategy to help you successfully navigate various interactions and situations that require you to downplay and minimize the aspects of yourself that are not valued in those spaces. And as a Black person, that is everything from our physical aesthetics and features, which are almost always associated with things like being perceived as militant or incompetent for having natural Mm -hmm. hair or being perceived as a threat for being tall or just being perceived as less attractive for our various physical features that are mostly uh, from people of the African diaspora. And in corporate spaces in particular, those features are not valued. So what code switching allows you to do is figure out how can I minimize this aspect of myself and my culture that's not valued here and instead switch on a persona, a way of speaking, even a name that better resonates with the people who are around me. And I'm doing that to achieve an outcome that I want, whether it's I need to get this job, I need to land this client, I need to impress my boss, whatever it is, I need to make sure that how I'm presenting myself aligns with the image and ideal worker that they have in their minds. And unfortunately for a lot of Black people around the world, that is not 
tied to Black culture. It is things that we have associated, you know, in terms of our professionalism norms, our norms of what it means to be successful or a leader, or have executive presence are almost always derived from white culture. Everything from what it looks like to what it sounds like to how, what interests people take, what music they prefer, like all of those things. So code switching is the that strategy of being able to switch on that voice and and that uh, way of doing things so that you can better manage that impression you have with people you work with. And sometimes even outside of work, it's things like how we interact with police officers, right? Where you try to switch on a very calm demeanor so that you can survive that interaction. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of outcomes associated with code switching, but we can go there <laughs> later. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like when you hear that term code switching, what does it do to you and for you? And I think in the context of when we were talking about rest, when I thought about code switching, I was like, code switching is hard. Mm. It's work. Yes. It is not a restful practice. <laughs> if I have to consistently change who I am at my core, that is not a restful practice. Right. And so one of the things that, and I have been in, I went to a PWI for undergrad. I spent high school in a predominantly white school as well, mm-hmm. or seventh through 12th grade in a predominantly white school. Most of the schools I attended for grad school were also predominantly white. And so I think there, I wasn't as conscious that that's what I was doing, but I know that's what I was doing was code switching. And now that I'm not in those spaces as much. Now that I'm in the mm-hmm. entrepreneur life, I'm on my Instagram and I'm playing DMX in my stories. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm playing a, a tribe called Quest. And y'all can take it or leave it because yes. it's my page. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm saying y'all all the time. Yes. I'm not changing who I am. You either like me or you don't. You have the yes. freedom. You have the freedom to leave just as much as I have the freedom to be myself. And I think a that lot. Part, <laughs> and yes. I think I think a lot about Tabitha Brown. You know, so for those who may not know, Tabitha Brown is amazing. She's, a, <laughs> she's amazing. there is no other term for Tabitha Brown. She's just amazing. Social media influencer, vegan influencer, and she shows up authentically. And I think that's that's the thing. Being able code switching does not allow you to show up authentically. And so right. and, and she has spoken about that and she actually has a t-shirt. I think it says freedom from code switching because I yeah, I believe, yeah. She has talked about that openly because she is from the South as well. I think she's from North Carolina. North Carolina. North Carolina. And so showing up on social media and the things that the trolls, the internet trolls that come after her on the way she talks and how she speaks and the way she comes across. And do y'all know how successful Tabitha Brown is? Listen. (laughs) And she ain't cold cold switching. Right. And like, I love a lot of what you were sharing, especially around the freedom piece. I think that's a big one. And I have a shirt that says, I'm too tired to code switch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because one of the things we found in our research, and and this even has like public health implications, some of this new work that we just got funded, code switching is exhausting. As you were saying, it's effortful. And anytime you're engaging in that additional effort, that's cognitive overload, that's mental overload. And it's physically exhausting and taxing. I think about Black women in particular, like, when I was in college, I remember going through etiquette classes in preparation for grad school and interviews. And some of the things that the very well-meaning um, older Black women in my life were suggesting, you know, straightening my hair. 
mm-hmm. that straightening your hair is professional, is necessary to get a job. And I don't think people realize how exhausting it is as a Black woman to find someone, get that appointment, you know, sit in those salon, or go through the process of finding the right products and finding the time to straighten mm-hmm. your hair and then being concerned about whether or not the elements are going to let your hair be great. Yes. Or are you going to you know, show up with a little, little fuzz? And not to mention, like, there's been new studies linking uterine cancer rates to use of chemical relaxers mm-hmm. in our hair. So when we talk about, like, public health issues and code switching, I was like, it's, it's right there, right? It's, it's direct linkages to the behaviors we feel that we have to engage in in order to just be taken seriously to get the same opportunities as everyone else. It is physically costing us, not to mention emotionally taxing. I think one of the things I'm doing less of, less of the code switching, is way less explaining what mm. the hell is going on <laughs> with me as a Black person. Like, mm. I'm not explaining how I got my hair in the state. I'm not explaining why I say the things that I do. I'm not explaining who Cardi B is. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not explaining that. Go figure it out for yourself. And that freedom to be like, even, even for, this is something that my colleagues and I, we, we debate back and forth all the time. We're not debate, but we, we constantly have to remind ourselves. Black people are also not a monolith. And so when we talk about code switching, you know, in the work, in that white work environment, we're almost always talking about shifting away from things that have been associated with black culture to things that have been associated with white culture. But black people created rock and roll. Black people created country music. Black people created pop music. So when you meet Black people who like Paramore and like whatever type of music, them code switching is sometimes to quote unquote act more Black because they've also experienced that other side of it, sometimes from other Black people, but even from non-Black folks that say, I'm Blacker than you or you acting white. And I've definitely gotten that accusation before, both from Black people, but also from non-Black people. And I'm like, you don't even know what the hell it means to be Black. So how are you going to tell me how to be black? And so to have that freedom to not have to worry about like all those steps I mentioned for that whole hair straightening process on top of preparing for an interview or whatever the hell else you got going on. And like you said, Tabitha Brown is successful. We can be successful in these spaces without feeling like we have to be anybody else than Mm -hmm. who we already are. And that just creates like, I don't know how it's been for you on your entrepreneurial journey, but I find myself so much more creative about what I uniquely bring to the table and can contribute in these spaces when I'm unencumbered by feeling like I can't be myself. It's like, I know what I bring to the table now. And I know that when you're asking for these things, if that is or is not me, (laughs) and maybe that's not, I'm not who you should be working with. Maybe you should be working with someone else. But I I don't know, like, have you felt yourself being more creative, more like engaged when you don't have to do as much of the code switching? Yeah, I would say most definitely because... There are lots of things in my experience, things, like I said, things from my youth, things from my childhood that now I get to bring into the work that I do, even with podcasting. I mean, so from a young age, I was doing like, we would have oratorical contests at church, right? So doing (laughs) doing Easter speeches and doing all kind of stuff. So I've been speaking publicly since I was young. And then when I was in... High school, yeah, high school. I was on the speech and debate team, mm. and using my voice as a gift for podcasting, for my work, for my entrepreneurial efforts. I find that having that freedom from code switching allows me to convey a message that I may not get to convey otherwise. I'm from the South. I'm from Mississippi. 
at that. Sometimes I sound real country. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just do. Sometimes it just comes out and I can't control it. And sometimes I don't always hear it. And especially when I'm talking to other people and people always like, you have such a Southern accent. I was like, I don't hear it. I'm from the South. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. What else do you expect? Yes, I'm from the South. So (laughs) it allows me to think about how can I keep that authenticity and how can I get to understand myself more? Mm. What are those things like public speaking and participating in oratorical contests and speech and debate? How can I bring those things that shaped me into Mm -hmm. where I am in my life today? And how is that going to help me understand who the person who I am, the person who I was and the person that I and the person that I am becoming? I love that because I love that. It's all a part of it. It totally is. And I think like that's that that feeling of wellness. One of the things that I include as part of that definition is like you're free to be yourself and you're free to evolve and grow. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like I think a lot of folks try to hold us to who we were or try to keep us in these bubbles of, well, you have your PhD. You're supposed to X, Y, Z, you know, whatever they attach to having a PhD. You're not supposed to talk like that anymore. You're you're supposed to use correct grammar, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Instead of having like you just lack linguistic savviness. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It's like rather than see it as a deficit in me that I still use the words y'all and speak with my southern idioms. That instead, you just lack the linguistic like vocabulary and, and expansiveness and range mm-hmm. to understand what I'm saying. And instead, we could just make we need to make more, more room for everyone to be themselves and all the systems and spaces that we create. Right? It's like, how can I make room for you to be you and me to be me and us to be well together while yeah. we're doing whatever it is that we're pursuing? Like that is a question I want more people, companies, mm-hmm. they need to like ask themselves that. And, and especially that part about who you're becoming. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Like, do we ar- allow room for people to grow and learn and change mm-hmm. and embrace that change? Like, yeah, that's, that's powerful. Cool. Yeah. And I think about prior to becoming an entrepreneur, walking mm-hmm. into a room full of academics or researchers or whatever, I might walk into a room then and say, oh, well, I don't believe that this is going to work for this reason, A, B, and C. And now as, I'm going to use your term, at, term as a recovering academic, now I can walk into a room and say, uh-uh, I ain't doing it. <laughs> ain't doing it. I feel completely comfortable, completely comfortable just, just walking in the room saying, look, I don't know what y'all, what y'all got going on, but I ain't doing it. And leaving it, leaving it on the table, leaving it at that. And I don't have to explain any further. I said what I said. If you didn't understand what I said, you can figure it out. But figure it out. I'm done. Whew. Listen, <laughs> I have never felt so free <laughs> from detaching myself from that particular role and lane. And I and I I promise you, like when I envision my life six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, it is how can I continue to work less and less in spaces where I feel like I cannot be my true self. Mm. Right? It's like how can I let go of all of those spaces and not just working, but like even how, where and how I choose to spend my time. Yes. Right. It's like, there's, there's certain friends or even family and locations that we've tied ourselves to that are not part of who we're, who we are, who we're coming. It's like, just because we related, mm-hmm. I mean, we got to stay in touch. Like, like there's, yeah. <laughs> there's some like, and, and just because we knew each other when, back when I was in this space, doesn't mean, you know, there's a lot of folks that I haven't heard from 
since mm-hmm. I was like, I need to get out of academia. And that is totally okay. If that is the only way that you want to con- interact with me is by me being attached to this institution or having this particular role. And now that that's not there, then you don't see the need to connect with me. Totally fine. Like that's mm-hmm. way less people. I got to keep track of. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of like continuing to move and be in spaces that fit us. Yeah, there's a narrative in there around quitting. I, I remember when that whole quiet quitting moment was happening and I was just like, why do people feel they have to stay somewhere forever? <laughs> like, what's so bad about quitting? Mm-hmm. I, I am totally down for like, oh, this is disturbing me. I'm not doing that. Like, move on. <laughs> same, same. I'm like, I tell people all the time, being an entrepreneur is the longest job I ever had. Because I <laughs> Because I will not stay in a place. I will. I have. I have literally, literally walked in to workplaces on the first day and said, "I won't be here long. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have my season. I'm gonna learn what I need to learn. And as soon as I get the get the okay to get out of here, and I know my season is up, I'm leaving. I have literally done that and have said that, like just just from experiencing the first day. <laughs> I love that though. Like that, you have to know yourself so well to be able to walk into a space and know this is what I'm here for and this is what I'm not here for. And I I want people to have more time to figure out who they are so that they can better make decisions like that. And I don't know about you, but like pursuing entrepreneurial work has certainly deepened this understanding of who I am, Mm -hmm. like as a person, like not only how I like to work or prefer to work, but what lights me up, what brings me joy, but also what frustrates the hell out of me. Let me delegate that. More, I'm just not going to do that. You know, it's like, I love speaking and podcast hosting and I manifest like that's going to come one day. I don't like putting presentations together. I realize it's like, oh, I really don't enjoy this. <laughs> so how could I figure out, you know, that, that helps me figure out where's the need, where's the capacity mm-hmm. instead of feeling like I got to do all the things. Yeah. And I think it's a constant, it's a constant, process of critical thinking and critical reflection and asking yourself, is this serving me well? Is this Mm. experience serving me well? Is this person serving me well? Is this job serving me well? Is this workplace serving me well? Because a lot of times you might love the job. It's the workplace that's so toxic. And so really having that critical reflection and asking yourself, that question is this serving me well and if it's not being uh-huh. okay being okay to let it go you don't have to hold yeah. on to that government job for 20 years if it's not serving you well honey yeah. you don't have to you can make a different choice listen when they talk about we're part of this reimagining work journey in addition to like creating room for love this is also creating room for people to be flexible like tying things like healthcare and health insurance and retirement benefits to one job makes zero sense to me because like you said it means how how willing are you to endure the hardships and the toxicity that's associated with this workplace and so you see people as saying as being loyal not them being locked in or stuck right it's like the way they describe tenure in academia is like it's golden handcuffs right it's like yeah it looks nice it's a shout out to you you've exceeded these, these expectations and you've achieved this goal and you're stuck because mm-hmm. now your retirement is like invested in this institution and it being successful means that you get to have a quality of life like like that is that is such a hard ridiculous model we've imagined for ourselves like we can imagine better i'm excited to see more 
creative strategies to like the, the separate 401k processes and the separate healthcare routes that we can take. I am saying, you know, I'm very privileged that I have a spouse who enjoys his work and likes that corporate life. So I tag my ass right onto his health insurance. But at any point, you know, I've, I've been very transparent with him too. Like if at any point you're like, this isn't working for me anymore, we will figure something else out. I don't want either of us to be stuck in a place where we are unhappy and going through the motions of the work because we feel like we can't leave. Yeah. 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 It's such a different shift when you focus on the things that bring you joy, right? The things that bring you joy, the things that bring you healing versus, oh, I just need to work a job. I just need to get the money. I just need to, I just, that's, that's exhausting. That thought process is exhausting. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Being an entrepreneur, I don't make the amount of money. Sometimes I do miss that, that paycheck. Every couple <laughs> every month. I mean, I do, I do miss it, but I think about all the things that I gain by being an entrepreneur and doing the work that I love and that I can prioritize that joy and healing over yeah. just trying to get the just trying to get the paycheck and, and make make the bills and and yeah. do whatever my boss wants and and try to meet the demands of the employer. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not for that life anymore. I'm just not. I'm like I don't Absolutely. think I, I don't think I could ever go back to a nine to five. I'm not gonna say never because I mean you you never know what might happen and I might have to or whatever. But I don't think I could. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do everything. I said if if this business don't work, <laughs> I'm gonna have to make some cookies. I'm gonna have to bake some cookies. I'm gonna have to do something. I'm gonna have to figure it out because I cannot go back to a nine to five. I'm gonna have to figure out. I'm gonna have to find me a, a grandma's secret recipe. Something. I just can't do it. What you're pointing out too, again, that limited imagination that the people who have been in power for a long time have come up with with work, it has created this reality where people attach work to, like work means so much in their whole lives. Like you don't know who you are until you find your, your work passion or how will you make friends if you're not at work, work is supposed to designate like where you live and all like all, it's mm-hmm. work has become the center of so many of our lives instead of things like joy, instead of things like what makes you smile, <laughs> what makes you happy. And and I think about the folks who have hobbies and the people who's who's super passionate about their hobbies or what they volunteer to do, they may think of work as providing the resources for me to now do the thing that I'm passionate about. And workplaces also need to be okay with that. Right. They tried to label it quiet quitting when people were literally just doing their jobs. I'm like, if you want people to exceed above and beyond, you need to bring out some above and beyond money and some above and beyond benefits and resources like everybody having regular mandated paid time off, not Mm -hmm. one or two days here, but like months at a time. Right. Like four day work week, six hour work days. Like there, there are ways for you to get from people what it is that you want by also providing them with realistic working conditions, right? And we can't even get safe work environments, let alone work environments that are trying to contribute to our holistic well-being. And I remember saying this to a reporter one time, I forget which like article they were writing, but I was saying, you know, we need to spend less time at work. And they were like, oh, well, what about people who are feeling lonely and isolated? Don't they need that connection? I'm like, this is where neighborhoods come into play. This is where you shouldn't have to leave where you grew up for better opportunities because better opportunities should exist everywhere you find yourself. It's like where I find myself, 
there I am and there are the conditions in society that allow me to be my best self. And if we don't have that, which we clearly don't, then that that's the work that needs to be done. It's like, that's the work that needs to be done in this specific town, in this specific city, this specific state, so that everyone can, like work can be just one of many choices that you're making about your life, not the mm-hmm. choice between life or death, yeah. right? And like the longevity, the the security of life, that being tied to work is so dangerous because that gives all the power to employers who have clearly made it known over the last few years they don't give up flying anything about the well-being and health of their workers they will replace you so fast if you were to die and yeah that's one thing i learned and while i'll never go back to 95 it's like i am super replaceable why am i out here giving my all when they they will replace me in a day like (laughs) and your workplace should be one of those things that another source of joy versus the only place that doesn't give you joy. Like, yes, we have to start shifting that. So in saying that, I have one last question for you as we get ready to wrap up, which is what brings you joy in your work? My work these days, what brings me joy is really when I get to connect with the folks who are desiring and or in the middle of practicing their need to be well and their needs for rest, for recovery, for getting into flow, like what, whatever it is that is part of their work that they're doing or, or trying to pursue. And when I get to see them express that interest or awakening after a brief meditation exercise or just seeing how relaxed and calm everyone feels after we do some breath work together, like those moments remind me that this work is important and meaningful. And that brings me so much joy to know that there are people in companies who are trying to do better in this regard and spread and disseminate more joy and more wellness in the world. And to see them creating space for their employees to participate in these trainings, to to go to these workshops, to have sustained long-term engagement. It's like shifting the work culture all around. Like those moments are like, oh, this is why I'm doing this work mm-hmm. that and not that is designing my life around my menstrual cycle <laughs> like when I'm on my cycle I am not working and preventing mm-hmm. I am resting and relaxing and doing what I need to do and when you don't work against your body your body will be there for you it's like oh mm-hmm. we we got to rest for a whole you know however long my cycle is now this week we got some energy we, we can go you know do some things and you know that in a, in a couple of weeks, we'll come back to this place and just to be in that rhythm and harmony with my mm-hmm. life and not and, and with my body and not feeling like I'm working against it all the time. That brings me so much joy. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yes, I don't have to fight against myself. Myself needs to rest, to, to put up some boundaries, to say no, and I can. Oh, joy. Like, <laughs> that's the best joy. <laughs> yeah, that's that being the authentic self, too, right? Yeah. It's like when I get yeah. to be fully authentic, like, I need a nap and I can go take it. Oh, my body's like, girl, we love each other. We love you. Like, we, we are all here together. Yeah. I love that. I love my body and my body is loving me. Hey, that's exactly. all we need. We only get one. So, got to, take, got to take care of it. Got to take care of it. All the way. Yes. So if people would like to connect with you, how do they do that? How do they get in touch? Yes. So I do have a couple of websites out there. One is my personal page. It's CourtneyLMcCooney.com. And through there, you can find links to some of my other works and connection. And then my business work is Equiwell Partners. That's E-Q-U-I-W-E-L-L Partners with an S dot C-O. 
that website also has links to all my social pages, just at Equiwell Partners. And there you'll see like postings and upcoming events, but also reminders of when I'm hibernating, like what I'm doing next in the month of July and several points throughout the year. It's like, oh, I'm offline. I'm wrestling. You won't see me, but you can look at some of the things I've done in the past. (laughs) That's where you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for engaging in this conversation. And it has been such a joy. And this was a restful conversation for me. Didn't even didn't even feel like work at all. So <laughs> I am so grateful, yes, so grateful to have the opportunity to chat with you. And this will wrap up another episode of the Public Health Joy Podcast. I am so grateful for this time we got to spend together. If you enjoyed this episode, I need you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For more information on transforming public health research into positive community impact, visit www.joywashington.com. This is where research meets relationship. And I'll see you next time on the Public Health Joy Podcast.